Today we're going to uh, begin a new series on what it means to have a godly home. And uh, t- today's topic is, is love. And I, I want to say this, kind of get this out of the way right off the bat. Uh, I am by no means qualified in any way to, to speak about love. Um, as I've been preparing this week, I've just been convicted that I just need to grow in this area more. And I don't think that there's any single person in this room that by, their, that by the time we're done today will be able to say that I've got this love thing nailed down. Um, the beginning of the year, we started off our, our series of uh, moving into maturity with dealing with the sins that you and I struggle with. Well, we're coming to a close with the end of this year at talking about the fruit, the dis- different elements of the fruit of the Spirit and how that applies to the home. Now, our culture defines love as this tender feeling of affection because Caleb, you're a nice guy. You know, I like Caleb's hair because it's nice and shiny. There's something about that quality that I love that uh, moves upon me to give that tender affection towards that. But that's really not what it means to, to have love. In fact, it's not even used in biblical language at all based upon the uh, tender feelings of someone <laughs> See, that's, I just love when the youth sit in the front row. I just love, where's Baron? Oh, Baron, you see, Baron's moved back to the back. Anyway, okay. We need to have godly, godly homes of love. We just, we just got to get that nailed down. Because there's a, a thing that's happening in our culture, and it's the breakdown of the home. And I want to read a, a report to you from the American Association of Advancements of Science, and this is from 2006. Now, I know it's American, but I, I'm very p- clear and sure that it applies Uh, to our homes in Canada. It made this conclusion that depriving depriving children of a loving family environment causes lasting damage to get this to their intelligence, their emotional emotional well-being, even their physical stature. According to this study, a lack of care and attention left children with stunted growth, substantially lower IQs, and more behavioral and psychological problems than children who had been better cared for. Wow. I didn't know that by not loving my kids correctly, I'm stunting their physical growth. Now, you may not believe this study. You may go, well, that that sounds pretty far out. But this is science telling us this. This is a study that was done over a huge length of time. Well, what does it really mean to love? Well, the Bible has lots of uh, different things to say about love, and we're just going to go through those fairly quickly. The Greek word agape is that word that is translated into English to mean love, and the first element of that is benevolence. Now, benevolence is to love the unlovely or the unlovable. They, They just don't have anything in them that requires this tender feeling of affection to move out towards them. And Jesus demonstrated this on the cross. In Romans 5, 8, it says that, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, no one here in this room that's married ever got married for benevolence. None of us did. We were beautifully attracted to our spouse. We maybe loved characteristics about them. And there was nothing unlovable about them. Doesn't necessarily apply. 
But as the marriage relationship goes on, sometimes our spouses, because of, because of life, maybe because of sickness, I know my mom went through this and I saw my dad walk in benevolence love with her sickness. But maybe it's because of hurts and pains and anger, disappointments. Our personalities change over time. And all of a sudden, this, this person that I was in love with in my home now needs benevolence because it's really difficult to love this person. And it can happen with your children too. It's an element of what Christ did for us. Here's the second one. Obedience. That's just to act, to love one another because of God has commanded us to love one another. And we, we all know this command. And in John 13, 34 and 35, it says that a new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. And by all this, and by this, people will know that you are my disciples. It's that faithful, willing obedience to love someone, to love your child, to love your grandparents, to love your parents, because Christ has commanded us to love. Here's the third one. Self-sacrifice. Agape love or biblical love has this element of self-sacrifice that seeks to love the other person at the lovers at my expense giving the love. And I'm willing to sacrifice. It puts the interests of others above myself. And in John 15, 13, we see this again in Jesus. Greater love, greater agape has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you've raised any kids, you've probably lived this. The 4 a.m. feedings, the driving the kids somewhere, uh, when you're tired and you're exhausted at the end of the day, and you're just giving up. You've got nothing left. There's nothing left in the gas tank, but yet you still need to do something. Self-sacrifice, that's an element of love. Ladies, you're so good at this. But men, we're not so good at this. We're not so good at this self-sacrifice. And in fact, after a hard day for, from work, many of us just come home, put up our feet, and, and, and just check out. That's not self-sacrifice at all. That's not love Godly love, biblical love in the home. In 1953, uh, there was the first climbers that ever climbed Mount Everest. And uh, from that time forward, they made it to the top. From that time forward till uh, around 2006, there's been over uh, 2,700 people make it to the top of Mount Everest. And this, this whole idea of climbing Mount Everest has become a huge economic uh, endeavor. And for some people, it costs as much as $60,000. To, to make their way to the top of Mount Everest. And in this uh, sort of commercialism of, of climbing Mount Everest, there's something that's happening to the ethics or, or morality of those that are climbing Mount Everest. And in 2006, there was a gentleman by the name of David Sharp who became a casualty in climbing uh, Mount Everest, and this 34-year-old engineer from Cleveland did make it to the top. He made it to the top. He, he reached his goal, and he got there with a team of people. 
But on his way down, 984 feet from the top, he ran out of oxygen. And he collapsed in the snow. Well, because there's such an economic trait of everybody climbing Mount Everest that day or that time in March, there was lots of other climbers on the hill. And in fact, there were 40 climbers that either passed him on the ascent or on the descent. And he eventually succumbed to hypothermia and died because he didn't have enough oxygen. But yet there was 40 people that didn't have enough love and enough willingness to share their oxygen and say, you know what, I'm going to forego my climb to the top or I'm going to give what I have left to get this guy down to a lower altitude. That's our world. That's our culture. And sometimes that's in our home. And we've got to eradicate those things if we're going to have biblical love. Here's the last element. Equal concern. Equal concern is just that, that idea of perceiving someone else with the same worth that I have. That's to value others unconditionally. No matter what you do, I'm going to love you. And Jesus told us this in Luke 6, 27 and 28. He said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. I want you to notice that in that text, there's, there's three things that are happening. The first one is to do good to those that hate you. And you see, there's different elements of enemies here. There's those that are hating you. You're to do good to those. Uh, those who uh, curse you, which is different from hating you. You're to give good gifts to them, to bless them. And that last category, pray for those who abuse you. And I know, I know, because I've talked to people who have gone through abuse, and that is incredibly hard to love your enemy. It's hard to do that. But the Bible says that we're to pray for those. It doesn't mean that we have to hang out with them. It doesn't mean those things, but it does mean that we need to pray for them. That's equal concern. And all of these four things put together in this, all through the biblical text, means love. And you may be looking at this and going, you know, I, I think I've got some of these down but I may, I, I may struggle with others. But we need to have biblical love. We need to have this flowing out of us as believers. If you're a believer, there is technically no reason why you and I should not have love. God is love. The Holy Spirit is love. And He came to dwell inside of us and to manifest all of these four things. But I think a lot of times we just don't know how. We haven't, we haven't learned how to do this in our home. And you know, the world looks at the church and they say, yes, we're going to know that they're the church because they have love one for another. Well, how do we do that? And I want to spend the rest of the time this morning just talking about how we do this. Because we can have this ideal of having biblical love in our homes, biblical love in our life, but if we're never walking in this kind of love, it's no good. It, it, it doesn't matter. And I know many of you know that. And I think many of us struggle with the how too. So let's talk a little, minute, uh, a little bit about what it means to practically love my family. And the first one is just that I need an overpowering devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's start right there. A lot of times in our homes, spouses, children, 
we get conflict, we don't have love because this one thing is missing in either the children, either in one of the spouses, that we just do not have an overpowering devotion to Jesus Christ. And we've got to lay that foundation first. And I want you to think about that in your own life. Do you have this overpowering devotion to Jesus? In Matthew 22, Jesus said to His disciples, He said to them, You shall love agape, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. For this is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it, that you'll love your neighbor, agape, as yourself. If we're going to get this loving others down, we've got to have this, loving, this agape love towards God. Those same four biblical elements that we just talked about, all of those four things have to be towards God. You've got to have this, and towards your spouse, towards your children. That's why it's so important. That's why the Bible says that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. Because we're just creating this opportunity for love to not even be there when one of us doesn't necessarily have an overpowering devotion to Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Growing Up With Your Teenager, says this. He says that the biblical material consistently portrays a family, not as the Norman Rockweller group beaming with gratitude around a Thanksgiving dinner, but as a series of of broken relationships in need of redemption. The family needs redemption. The relationships in your family with your parents, with your children, with your spouses, are broken and in need of redemption. And that redemption comes because we have given ourselves over to this overpowering devotion to Jesus Christ and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Now I hope you're asking the question, well, what does it mean to love with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind? Well, it means devoting yourself to God when God seems distant. When God seems unfair. Because when God is distant, it's hard, it, it causes that benevolent side of His love to be formed in us. Because it's loving the unlovely. It's, it, you can't see God. You can't feel Him. You need to have this benevolence towards Him. Or when He does things that you just don't necessarily agree with. How can you love a God that causes destruction or hurt or suffering in your family? Well, that's, that's to grow in benevolence. and Let alone sac- self-sacrifice to God. Giving up our priorities and our desires for Him. And you see, when we get this agape love towards God settled in our hearts, we then can turn to our neighbor, we then can turn to our spouse, we then can turn to our children and have the same kind of agape love towards them. I came across this quote and I thought it was so great. It's out of the Holman Bible Dictionary. And it says this, that Christian love is not simply an emotion that arises because of the character of one loved. It is not due to the loving quality of the lover. It has nothing to do with you and I. It has nothing to do with the object. But this is what it does have to do with. It is a relationship of self-giving which results from God's activity in Christ. 
as you and I give ourselves over to Christ. This God is love begins to pour into our hearts and this desire of having an overwhelming devotion to Him spreads out everywhere. So I have a question. Do you have this kind of overpowering devotion to Jesus Christ? Because you will never get to the point of loving in your family unless this is first. You and I can't get there unless we have this. Here's the second thing. I have to reject every human desire, every humanistic desire. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, that famous love passage, it says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love endures all things. Parents, can you relate to this story? You know, it's been a busy day and your kids have been out somewhere. Maybe they're at the mall uh, and they're supposed to come home at a certain time. And uh, they don't show up. Or maybe they're out in the neighborhood biking around with their friends. They don't come home. Maybe you've been in that place with uh, teenagers that have cars and they're out doing something and you have no idea they've missed their curfew. And inside of a parent, there's something that begins to happen. You become restless. You become anxious. You're, you really truly are caring and concerned about what's, where they are. What, what are they doing? Are they safe? And you just have this overwhelming love for them. But then they come home. And they come in the door and you're so you're, whew, relieved. They didn't get in a car accident. And then the questioning becomes, we're so glad you're home, but where were you? Who were you with? What were you doing? Why didn't you call? And this overwhelming care and concern that we had for them turns into a complaint against them. we got to reject that temptation to have a humanistic, selfish, rude, arrogant desire towards our kids. And it means examining ourselves, looking at ourselves. And you know what, kids? You can do this too. Because it sounds something like this. Mom, Dad, I really love you. But fill in the blank. You won't let me do this. I can't do that. I would really like it if we could go here. And it's a complaint. We have to get away from those things, all of us. And this isn't just to parents and, and spouses. This is, this is to the children too. Our kids need to learn these things and understand what that means. Here's the last one. I'm going to practically love my family by having an enthusiasm to be the first one to love. Now, in John, 1 John 4, John writes to the church and says that he's talking all about love. The, the book of John is all about love. And he says, We love because he first loved us. Jesus Christ showed us love and demonstrated love by being the first one to love us. And you know, if we could take that principle 
of being the first one to love and apply it in our relationships, I guarantee you there would be more love in your home. That we would say, okay, we're in the midst of some kind of conflict, we're in the midst of something. I'm going to choose to be the first one to love. And if every family did that, in every family relationship, children to, to parents and, and grandparents to parents, would choose to be the first one to love, then it would, love would flow out. Because all it takes is one. And then it's easier for the second one to do that. Now you may be sitting here this morning and going, you know what, yeah, Chris, I, I get all of this stuff and I hope I raise the bar. And I hope that you're kind of feeling like, you know what, I don't know that I can measure up to this. Because this is, this is, this is the real deal. People need to know that Christian homes, biblical homes, are different by having love. And it only happens when you and I have this devotion to Jesus Christ where we reject the world and we have this enthusiasm to love others first. Christ was able to do it. And if we don't think we can measure up, we need to stop measuring ourselves and give ourselves over to Christ who can help us measure up. So as we go through this series and as we talk about the the fruits of the Spirit in the context of the family, I pray that all of you would grow in love and that your neighbors around you, the people that interact with you and come into your home would know that this is a home of love, that this is a place of love and people that interact with you would know that your home is markedly different. You know, sometimes I think that we think our homes are full of lovingness. But every family is dysfunctional at some level. And God has called us, and God has called you and I, to redeem this broken relationship called family and have the Spirit of God breathe into that situation and bring lasting change so that when we have guests, we interact with people, we have a a neighbor boy who for the last year and a half has been coming over and my wife and I were just like, why is he spending so much time in our house? Why, why is he here? Like every time I look around, I come down Saturday morning, nine o'clock in the morning, I come down from upstairs. He's already in the house. He's on the computer. I didn't know why. I found out why. His parents got divorced. They were going through separation. There was tons of fighting. He's now no longer living across the road. Because there was something about our family that caused him to want to be there. And is there something like that in your family that causes others to want to be there and to fellowship and to experience the love that comes from Christ? Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have bestowed through your Son, Jesus Christ, on us. Lord, I pray that we would not take the grace of God and not take it seriously and not take the commission that we have been given as followers of Christ to live out our life displaying the likeness of Christ in our homes and in our families. Lord, I pray that every household that is represented here would go home today and that they would think about what it means to be a home of love. And Lord, that those homes would then be bursting forth with a love that changes and draws people to you. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would check us, that you would convict us of not loving the way that we should, but that we would have that agape love for one another, reaching deeply into our broken world of broken relationships and loving as you love. Lord, we can't do this on our own, but we do know that you can teach us what it means to love. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.